You are listening to KDUR 91.9 and 93.9 FM, also streaming online at KDUR.org. I'm your friendly Tuesday morning radio host, Adar, here with you for Off the Rim, a show connecting the Fort Lewis College campus to the broader community and vice versa. That definition of broad gets very broad and loose because it's my show. So I get to interview who I want. And this morning, I wanted to bring on to Sakwa, a social justice trainer, um, a racial justice activist, someone who I'm so excited to have on the show. Thank you. How are you this morning? I am wonderful. Thanks for asking. I love the fall and we're in it. <laughs> yeah, it's it feels glorious right now. Then it's getting colder and wetter, but the colors are still so bright. It's lovely. So you're you're up in Denver while we're recording this. And this is airing down in Durango, so-called Durango. You have a presence in both of those places doing mm-hmm. trainings and you did one just recently it sounds like on the school to prison pipeline and that's especially what I wanted to ask you about this morning and knowing there's people listening out there probably I'm guessing like in in some trainings that you do with a really wide variety of knowledge about what that even means a school to prison pipeline what where do we start I know. Where do we start, right? Um, <laughs> I think for the most part, people have heard of the school to prison pipeline, right? They've they've heard it. It's it's kind of a a phrase that's been bouncing around for a few years, along with some other things out in the social justice world. Um, and really, it's a system that's designed to um, either push out or deliberately, right? Um, which in the forms of expulsion, suspension, or all the other things are um, unjustly done, I might add, and push our kids with disabilities, excuse me, I meant to say youth, I really try to refrain from the word kid, Um, push our youth into the youth with disabilities, our queer youth, and of course our black and brown youth are the most impacted by the school to prison pipeline and the ones that are mostly really, um, right, and they all are handled differently, right, by uh, their peers as well as adults, teachers, professionals, sometimes so-called professionals. Oh, disability is a connection that you and I share, and um, that's a a piece in in the prison system that I think some people don't think of that is... um, so, so much prevalence, so connected to how and why people end up incarcerated and then what happens to them while they're there. Would you say that? Yes, I guess I kind of didn't even finish earlier when I was talking, did I? Um, but it is, it's that <laughs> system that's designed, that is pushing the kids out either overtly or, you know, subcon- I, I don't even, I don't know the other word. Oh, you know, they kind of just really push them out and kind of encourage them. I actually worked with youth who were like, talked into like just go get your GED just you know or maybe this setting is not for you maybe you should look into something else besides traditional high school settings right and then 
typically what happens is they end up in the prison system, right? And there's so many things in the school system that actually kind of push those kids into the prison system eventually. Um, but yes, definitely. Um, and, and disability is something that we don't talk about enough, right? And sometimes disability isn't even what we think it is. Um, if you've never worked in the disability world, sometimes you just picture people who are visibly disabled in some way, shape, or form, right? You picture a wheelchair, you picture, um, you know, someone walking with a cane, or you picture someone with hearing devices, but it's so much more, right? And we both know that. There's a lot of invisibility in disabilities as well. It's like, you can't look at me and see mine, right? Like, it's, um, but it's also those kids who, right, who are also on the spectrum, who are, um, who have so many other things going on that you can't see and it's all and sometimes it's just cognitive things and there's yeah there's so much vulnerability to that and just layers of okay so if if people are going undiagnosed or untreated for disorders maybe they're being actually incorrectly placed in special education when they're an English language learner and then they just so there is not just disability, but the intersectionality of race within that, that is part of this pipeline, right? Right, exactly. And that's right. And that's something. So I just did this training up here on um, so-called Denver area. And I was on at Youth on Record, which is formerly flowbots.org. Um, I purposefully wanted to be in that space, right? Because they serve youth. Because one of the things that I do in my training, and it's just something I learned just by doing more trainings, right? Because I just also did this in Grand Junction about a month ago. I wanted to tie more Colorado things because I know the training that I do is very blanket. And it's like lays the foundation. And ironically enough, when I was doing this training, we were looking at a Chicano movement that happened um, here in Denver, and how they responded to rate um, some race things that had happened at the local high school, and I think it was called West High School. And little did I know where I was doing the training, the school was like three blocks up the road. It was really, it was really interesting. And so one of, and then when we were wrapping up, like one of the exercises I had everyone doing was to like seek out, you know, youth serving organizations and see what, you know, and see how they're fighting the school to prison pipeline, get to know your community more. That's basically what I was getting at. Cause right. A lot of times we don't even know what's offered because even youth on record had things going on. And I think they were able to connect to everyone in the room in some way, shape or form, right? Like what are your classes? Um, what other programs do you have? And I was able to take a small tour of the building. They have so many wonderful things to connect youth to music. It's one of the few spaces that actually had all of the things to do music, right? They had the sound rooms, they had production rooms and you know, all the instruments and it, it was a really cool spot. And I got to see where the community actually, um, so the person giving me the tour called it self gentrified, gentrified itself. Um, it, it is one of the communities that are gentrified, but they actually had a voice in it and they got to dictate how, and they worked with the Durango housing authority, if I'm saying this correctly. And they got to like, really pick and choose what they wanted their communities to be like. And most of the buildings are retail businesses on the bottom and all of the folks live in um, above the retail businesses. I know there's a word for that, but, I miss it. but it was really neat because then it was a way, because I really like for people to connect 
find some sort of way to connect to community when we're talking about justice, right? Because we all need community in some way. And it doesn't matter what you're talking about. We do need community. We do need each other to like get through things, right? And it sounds like part of what you're doing is looking into from, it sounds funny to say history, but it is, you know, like within the last half a century um, movements that have been in Denver or down here, Chicano, or, or I mean, down here, I heard that myself and it, I'm like, whoa, you know, why don't we hear more about that? But the American Indian movement, there was an occupation at Fort Lewis college. Like, so I would, this is like not hidden, but right. maybe just not talked about. Right. Just like, I, I feel like this conversation comes up a lot in a lot of settings really is history and education around history, right? We're not always taught everything. Um, we only get taught what mainstream folks want us to know. Like even um, there's a huge disability history here in Denver. Um, a lot of a lot of things happened here. I know um, accessibility for tr- public transportation was huge up here in so-called Denver. And a lot of the disability rights movement started up here. So that's kind of cool too. So one thing I wonder about your perspective is um, coming from from an abolitionist perspective, because mm-hmm. I could hear someone, someone who's not me <laughs> saying, you know, like, okay, well, <laughs> if youth are engaging in delinquent behavior and criminal behavior, and this is the path they choose that they become a criminal that's why we have prisons and there you go right nobody ever thinks about right and I think there's a very privileged perspective that I think many people would agree with that it's easy to dismiss those kind of things as just problematic behavior right like um oh well you got you got what you deserved you know and sometimes things are not that simple right nobody thinks about how it started or where somebody's biases are or right even what they're the person who's oh the person in position of power right what they what they are doing with that power and and what biases they hold nobody ever talks about that and um and really that's how the school to prison pipeline starts right and i have as many people who will be listening to this from the so-called um, Durango area, many people have their own experiences in the 9R school district, right? Especially if you have black and brown kids. Um, I have my own personal experiences. Um, you know, my son was one of five black and brown kids that were all suspended in like a matter of minutes at MMS. So we all have experiences and some of us have worked in the disability community with youth and even seen like some of the isolation that happens with disabilities and um, especially with youth, right? Um, Instead of sometimes, I'm not saying everybody does it, but sometimes people don't know what they're doing and they shouldn't have the jobs that they do. And, um, and it could look like, you know, just something like isolating a kid in a room by themselves, right? How often does that happen to kids with disabilities? And what happens to our queer kids a lot of the times, right? They're bullied. And sometimes they're not just bullied by their peers. And this is what I meant earlier, right? It's usually the queer population that gets a lot of the bullying, um, even if it's not a situation where youth has even come out, but they have certain mannerisms that mainstream people just like to poke fun at. 
And do you think that most educators or social workers and others who are in working in these environments with youth are accustomed to view delinquent behavior, quote unquote, as it's actually a sign of someone struggling, right? It's, it's, and, and so is being bullied, being bullied or bullying. They're both signs that developmentally or at home or at school, there's something going on. I definitely think that folks in the education realm could definitely do more training. (laughs) And I think it's easy for administrators to like say X, Y, Z to teachers because they're not right. They're not, they're not in the rooms. They're not, they're not in the hallways and it's easy. And so I think that's why that's why I'm trying to just name the whole education system because it's not just on the backs of teachers while they're doing all the grunt work, right? They're doing all the hard work with our youth. It's also administrators who are also um, dictating what teachers should do. And then, right, the administrators in the building, and then there's the administrators like in the big building. Um, There's a lot of things, right? And we even talked about this in the training, how, you know, I I touched on it a little bit about history and education. Like one of the things, I actually did two trainings and one was not related to the school to prison pipeline. But in both instances, um, this conversation came up and one of, one of the things that I'm really waiting, waiting on Colorado to do so-called Colorado is the governor signed something. I don't remember when it was last year, the year before that. Um, it's mandatory to teach disability history, queer history, and of course, right, black and brown history. And I'm waiting, right? Because one of the things that we know just by just sheer existence for a lot of people, I mean, I know some people don't always catch on, right, is if you don't, if you don't have these teaching experiences, right, you've never heard, right, and Durango is very white. So if you don't have um, black oh, and brown friends, for instance, <laughs> right? You're not going to know a lot of things. And I know for me, I learned this in college. I just remember, I remember the student body president, like looking at me like, well, how do you not? Cause I was running for a seat and I was, cause I was tired of ignorance. And that was what I stated. I was, t- and, and then some, this person looked at me and was like, so where do we go to not be ignorant? And I said, that's an interesting question because really you just told me without even telling me, right? Like you don't have any black and brown friends because there was a whole bunch of racial things that were happening on campus uh, that made me run for student Senate. And it was all related to indigenous people at that time. If and so, you're yeah. tuning in, you're listening to KDUR 91.9 and 93.9 FM, also streaming online at KDUR.org. I'm Adar. I'm here with Tasakwa, and we are talking about the school to prison pipeline, something that it's a phrase some of you might heard. Um, Tasakwa has a training that they have developed all diving into this and and we're we're in the thick of it now. So um, what else have we not talked about that you cover in this training? So one of the things that I do in this workshop is, I invite participants to draw on their own experiences in school to understand the way the school system is set up. And we actually go way back. Like, yeah, we'll get personal, but I also start way back, right? I think 
I remember correctly, I start in the 1700s with like how things came to be. It was like the, the learned and the laborer policies that were taking place back. Oh, well, of course, I think that was more along the lines of the late 1940s. But yeah, I go way back. And then I come all the way up, right? And we talk about the zero tolerance policies. And we talk about what zero tolerance is. And I'm always amazed at what, how many people don't even know what that means, zero tolerance policies. And it really is just those words. There is no tolerance. And that is mostly an easy out for people um, to use that policy to send kids to the office, to suspend them, to expel them, whatever that is, um, whatever they're in trouble for. But yeah, and then I, I, I do, I do interactive activities and we break out into groups and we do all kinds of things. Um, but we talk about who benefits from the school to prison pipeline, who suffers under it. Of course, we've gone over some of that, right? Um, how it works and why it works. And then we wrap up with like ideas on how we, by showing other examples of how people fight, fight the system and then ways in which the certain community that I'm in can fight it as well. And I love it when I get youth in it, but I always happen to be somewhere in the daytime. But I have done a youth school to prison pipeline training in Durango. I did a youth one where I actually do a mock activity of like going through the system. Um, like, and I set the whole room up like, you know, and it, and it, I try to include everything you can think of, right? The judge was having a bad day. <laughs> you get to start over, you know, creating a game like that. And um like the different scenarios and like even letting youth know, right? Like you could also be in the wrong place at the right time. <laughs> and sometimes these things happen, right? And of course, right, we're, we're, we can also be there instigating trouble and doing all of those things too. But if that's the path that you choose, this is what it looks like to go through the judicial system and do that with youth. But they're a little bit different. Um, I really like to do the youth one because then they get to play that game and, and most 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 youth don't understand like what how many hoops they have to jump through and how you know how much even their appearance right and can have an impact on the outcome of their of the judge's decision or the judge even having a bad day right um, how that impacts the decisions being made for them what are some of the places that you have flagged or the kinds of organizations, the kinds of people that you see as ideal, they should take this training? Oh my gosh. I think everybody should. Even if you're, you don't have kids in the school system, right? As grown adults, we also get to make decisions you don't get to make, right? So if you know that the local judge is just a jerk, right? Then you need to be telling people that so that they're not they're not voting for a judge who's actually continually sending kids down the school to prison pipeline. Those are some, because really it, it impacts everybody, right? We all, it, it impacts everybody. It's not just the kids that are going to school. It impacts the community, right? It in, impacts the kind of community that we have, if we have a just community or not. And a lot of my friends who might be sitting here listening to this would agree with that statement. Um, I think anybody who wants a just community should be paying attention to the to the isms and the other um, things such as this that are creating such huge injustices, especially for 
youth, because if we're doing this to youth, mm-hmm. we're setting them up for failure, right? We're already kind of pushing them into the prison system. And is that the kind of, is that the kind of world that we want for people or we do, we want them to be rehabilitated, right? Cause sometimes it's just, um, maybe it's just a drug and alcohol problem, right? Or um, it could be a lot of things. And I don't want to name all those things without going down a rabbit hole. <laughs> and it's, but it's exactly this kind of context about systematic injustices, history that led us here, that school administrators are sending out emails, school boards saying, you're not allowed to talk about it. And parents are going to, to meetings enraged about this, right? right? I don't know if that's happening here in 9R, but that's happening all over. It's, and it's definitely happening in Montezuma County. Well, and if you think about, right, how many people were so in uproar about talking about critical race theory, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot to that. And I don't, I feel like that's a whole nother conversation, but right. If we can't even talk about that, then how can we talk about youth and keeping them out of the school to prison pipeline? Right. Cause I know we both know people listening know that there are a lot of adults who would rather just toss those kids away they would rather that's why they're expelled right that's why they're suspended because that's that's an easy solution for them it's not really to get down to the root of really what's going on right and actually being present with someone and when you're an administrator I get you don't have that kind of time but then maybe you need a different job is my opinion but I just yeah our youth I mean Everybody says it, right? They're they're our future. And if this is how we're treating our future, ooh, we've got some problems. You use the word presence. And mm-hmm. you you said earlier too that it might just be almost a time saving thing, like send this send this kid to the office that yeah. is resulting in these policies that have consequences. And yeah, I wonder what kinds of approaches that are outside of this kind of just like bureaucratic way of dealing with children and shuffling them through hallways and, and expecting them to, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the word either. (laughs) Right. Just be a certain way, just toe the line. Right. I don't know. And it's hard, right? Because I think a lot of people forget, too, that some of the things that youth do are very age appropriate. Like they want them to like just be these perfect humans, these perfect little humans when they don't stop and think when they do something wrong. It was age appropriate. They're at the age to explore. They're at the age to like push boundaries, right? It's all age appropriate. We have all done it. And I think as adults, we get far removed from that and we forget, right? Even as parents, I've done the same thing. Um, yeah, I get that it's an easy solution when you're in the middle of something to just send a kid to the office, right? But follow up, follow up, right? Because I know for me, like, right, if we're in, like, everybody coins the word restorative justice without ever really thinking about really what it is or what it means. And, you know, being in the four corners for almost 20 years now, I'm familiar with who is who knows things and who's just giving lip service to things. Um, it Coming back to being present, right? If, it, if we're going to talk about having restorative relationships with people, because that's what I would love to see the world do, but it doesn't mean that's where we are. 
you do come back to that. Like, so what happened there back there in class today or yesterday, whenever you decide to have the conversation, like what was going on with you? Was it something that I said? Right. And then like, not always putting blame on someone else, right? Because they're youth, they're young beings who are still learning to get along in the world, right? And most of the time with really crappy adults. <laughs> Would you say it's safe to say that for youth of color, the youth mm-hmm. who are not seen as white and um, everyone is kind of struggling to fit through these systems but that the amount of attention and care that needs to be taken to deal compassionately with the kinds of friction that might come up for for someone who's a person of color because they're trying to function in a system that wasn't designed by them. It wasn't created for them. It's actually a different culture. It's a white culture. And there's a lot of friction of coming up against that and trying to fit into that right yes exactly um and uh, and I know there are educators that will argue with this all day right but they're also not black and brown and they don't get it like right if we talk about indigenous people alone um yeah that system was we were designed it was a design where we were to assimilate into, right? And think that white was right and um, be taken from our parents, right? And our family structures all together, we were ripped from them. And I remind people all the time, like this is not something that happened like a hundred years ago. We're talking like my dad, a generation, a generation above me who was ripped from his parents and like forcibly, um, had to learn English. His hair was cut. He was hurt physically if he spoke his language and he had to fight physically to not get his hair cut. But guess who wins over a youth, right? Guess who wins? Um, because now my dad can speak English and his hair is short as a, you know, before he passed, he, you know, he was trying to reclaim all of that. And, um, like just thinking about that alone, like, no, that system was not designed for us, right, in mind at all. We were, um, as, the, as the saying goes, it's a real quote, kill the Indian and save the man. That was like the whole premise for indigenous people alone. And I'm sure, you know, so did other populations, right? Black people had their, had their, um, had all of their things that happened to them as well, right? With slavery and um, all the things that nobody likes to talk about. Um, And we don't even talk about like one of the things I do with my youth youth of culture groups is one year I wanted, I wanted my youth to understand, right? There are more cultures out there besides what you see in so-called Durango. So we studied the Japanese internment camps and I reminded them this happened right here in Colorado. Like these, these things are not, we're not that far removed from them. And I always try to, I try to remind people that this isn't something that happened a long time ago, which is what a lot of people will try to argue about, right? Like, oh, it's a long time ago. We're not like that anymore. But those effects and those impacts last generations and it doesn't go away. Um, And there's a reason why we call it generational trauma. It just doesn't go away that easy. And those things live in your body. You just don't forget them. 
anybody who has ever had any sort of violence inflicted upon them knows what I'm talking about. Those things live within you. I'm so glad that we are airing this and also recording this so that people can listen and listen again and share. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Sakwa. And I, I hope that you come back if you want, because there's so much here in this conversation and it's, um, it's such good work that you're doing. It's so needed. So thanks for your time this morning. You have Thank been you. listening to KDUR 91.9 and 93.9 FM, also streaming online at KDUR.org. I'm Adar, and I just interviewed Tasakwa about the school to prison pipeline. What is that and how and why everybody should get trained up on it. Have a great week, everybody. 